The Second Generation Podcast is a space to discuss issues and experiences unique to second-generation millennials living in North America. I want to tell untold stories that are often not documented, and through this, insert the perspectives of this unique demographic into the mainstream narratives about life, work, family, politics, and everything else in between. Hey everybody, welcome to the Second Generation Podcast. This is your host, Seher Shafiq. So today's episode is another feature on an author, Ritu Basin. Ritu, aside from being an author, is also a diversity and inclusion speaker. She's an empowerment speaker. She's a consultant. She's a coach. Um, she's a lawyer by profession. She's a, a strategist. And Ritu literally travels all around the world talking about issues related to diversity and inclusion and delivering her consulting services. Ritu has written an incredible book called The Authenticity Principle, which really provides a roadmap for how you can identify when you are being authentic in certain situations. And if you're not, what's really holding you back? I read it about a year ago. Highly recommend it. Um... And so, yeah, Ritu and I had a discussion about how her upbringing, growing up in Toronto and then Unionville, really impacted the way that she sees the world around her and ultimately ended up informing the incredible work that she does. So without further ado, I will play the interview for you right now and hope you enjoy it. Hey, Ritu. Hi. How's your morning going? It's good. It's good. Uh, I uh, I am not the best morning person ever. Like Neither I've trained, I. <laughs> I, you know, I've trained myself to be like that. Where I trained myself to be functional in the morning. But back in the day when I was in university, I was one of those like night owls who would go to bed at like two ish, yeah. and then Four. I would get up at like <laughs> right, and I'd get up at like ten or eleven, or I'd always push my classes into the afternoon. So. Being in the working world, I've had to train myself to be more in the morning. Nice. Well, we're here yeah. um, in your office. Uh, thanks for making the time for doing this. Thank you for having me. This yeah. is exciting. I'm so happy for you. I'm excited to see this grow and flourish. Thank it's you. It's a great idea, great concept. Thank you. Uh, so we'll start with, I guess, your background and, and how you got into this work. The audience of this podcast is mostly second-generation millennials, mm-hmm. and so... I think you fit that uh, demographic. How did your... Well, I, I, you know, it's interesting. Okay, so I'm 43 years old. I am, by some calculations of millennial, on the right on the cusp of like leaving millennialhood and into Gen X. But when you look at Gen X, uh, the bands, as it relates to age, I'm right at the bottom. Like I'm just entering Gen X. So I feel like I straddle both generations and actually spiritually I feel like I, I straddle both as well really and, but then at the same time this is a theme that runs through my experience with identity there are moments where I don't feel belonging in either generation and I feel like an outsider and then there are moments where I feel very much like part of the tribe or part of the group so for example I have really deep relationships like bestie types with people who are Gen Xers, but if you plunk me in a group of Gen Xers, I would seem like I'm significantly younger than most of them because of my spirit. And I would like to think I look 
<laughs> way younger than you I am. Thank, I, thank you so much. You wouldn't have known your age until right. you mentioned so it just now. Yeah. Brown don't frown, you know. And I and I am <laughs> now significantly doing all kinds of like Indian fail mollish on my face to like keep myself <laughs> nice and wrinkle free. Um, that would that be facial works. facial massage, everyone. Facial massage. You know my father. It actually works. For real, it works. Yeah. For real, I'm like obsessed with natural. Um, healing and body care and wellness and all that and for years my Indian father would say to me uh, you should do face massage, uh, facial massage and I was like whatever nah, like, I, know, I don't like to listen to anything you have to say so I'm not gonna not gonna listen to that and now I'm like obsessed with like facial massage and I do it myself and whatever Anywho, um, so I'll be with Gen Xers and I'll feel like I, I'm totally not connecting to them because they just feel really old and stodgy but then when I hang out with Millennials I have these moments of really belonging and I totally get it and like I have a younger spirit anyways but then there are also moments where I'm like oh my god I feel so old so it really? just it, well but this is, isn't this this is I think I mentioned as a theme in my life I would say the feeling of struggling with belonging and being on the inside of feeling like I'm on the outside has been something I've had to grapple with and I think a lot of that is because I'm second generation mm -hmm. anyhow sorry I interrupted you because I'm like I don't like miss represent my, my <laughs> generational uh, identity. Well, now, now we're crystal clear. <laughs> so as in your childhood, you, like, mm -hmm. you're touching on belonging and identity. How mm -hmm. did your experience in your childhood kind of inform the work that you're doing now? Yeah, my, so my childhood upbringing had everything to, the, everything to do with the work that I'm doing now. So as you already know, I am a diversity, an inclusion and empowerment speaker. So I'm a professional speaker, I'm an author, I am a consultant, coach, strategist, and my mission in life is essentially to disrupt forms of supremacy that enable some people to get ahead and others to be left behind. And in particular, I'm very interested in interrupting racial supremacy and gender supremacy, but really all forms. Uh, I am cisgender and I identify as being straight, but I'm also very committed, for example, to to advocating for the dismantling of sexual orientation-based su supremacy as it relates to the experiences of people who are cis and straight um, and oppressing people from the LGBTQ communities. Um, so I, I committed to doing this work at a young age because growing up as someone who is now 43, the world has, in Toronto, uh, has significantly shifted. You grew uh, up in Toronto. I grew up in Toronto, yes. And and you know, it's interesting, even saying Toronto, like Toronto is not Canada. I think that a lot of times we as people who live in Toronto just think like Toronto, yes, we are obviously in Canada, woohoo, but we don't rep represent the broader Canadian demographic or like the, when you get outside of urban Canada, it's a whole different mm -hmm. ball game as it relates to racial representation. Like if you look at the data, the ball overwhelming uh, bulk of our racial diversity is in urban centers. So, anywho, but growing up in Toronto back, I was born in 1975, I would suggest from a South Asian immigration perspective anyways, but actually all forms of immigration, Canada finally uh, changed its then racist immigration laws that prevented immigration from essentially countries of color. And so in the 60s and early 70s is when Canada saw significant waves of immigration 
coming to Canada from like up color mm -hmm. uh, immigration migration and so my father and mother were part of that diaspora and so I had the um, typical experience of growing up in a working-class neighborhood populated by a lot of immigrants of color and then I had the experience of around the age of 11 my parents strategically moving us to like the whitest place mm. they could move us to so we went from scarborough uh vic park finch uh to and then steels and warden to up in unionville which is north no of the, way yeah north of the city and um, I, also, I lived in richmond hill for a while so uh, i'm very familiar with unionville yeah like, say that it was a shock to my system would have been an understanding. In fact, I, to be quite frank, I still carry like trauma from that experience with me in my body. I, I, I feel it in moments when I feel like an outsider. I go back to being that 12-year-old, 11, 12-year-old girl who experienced significant bullying. And the bullying I experienced for years was racist bullying. And also had elements of sexism because I was a really smart young girl. And even now, let alone back then, you weren't really allowed to be smart as a girl. And if you were smart as a girl, it was like, don't be smart. Like, your, your peers would want you to shut up. And so I, I they, my parents made this decision because they wanted us to access better education. And, and they knew that as brown-skinned kids growing up in white Canadiana, that we would need to learn how to shift cultural codes. They want us to get access to better networks. You know, it's interesting though, my parents, they had a lot of friends in the West End. So for those of you listening, West End, Toronto is where the bulk of South Asian, uh, the South Asian diaspora lives. My parents could have moved us to the South Asian side of Toronto, but they deliberately didn't. That's so interesting. They strategically chose to put us in whiteness. And I think that I, I reflect on their decision to do that and I wonder, the extent to which they were living a colonizer spirits. Like I think about how so many people from my parents' generation, because they were born pre and post partition. Like my mom was born, I think, right in the few months when India was actually, like the dismantling was happening and, and the line was being erected between Pakistan and, and India. So they were heavily influenced by colonization in India and that colonizer spirit permeated a lot of their thinking I, I, now when I reflect on it. So the decision, for example, to not move us to be with brown folks, but to keep us with white folk, to me reflects that white people, it's better to grow up with white people than to grow up with Upne or our own. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I may cough because it's allergy season, as you may so know, good. and most people sneeze and I cough. So just, you know, it's all good. Um, and today's a bad allergy day. Uh, so I, um, so, in moving us to Unionville, I, it, all of the, their objectives were borne out. Like we got a great education, and, and my siblings and I, and and we, uh, I learned very well how to shift cultural codes, which I'm happy to talk about, and it served me well. Although it's it definitely had an adverse impact on my spirit too, having to shift cultural codes as opposed to getting having the permission to just be who I really am. And and I and I was I did access networks. So all of that was great and it was borne out. But the problem is 
the social alienation and rejection that I experienced back then was really traumatic, actually. And you know, it's interesting because when I talk to millennials, like so people who are like, let's say in their 20s, not 43 or early 30s, and I talk about my experiences with racism, sometimes people look at me and be like, I didn't have that experience in Toronto at all. Like that was not my experience. And I think that I'm a really good example of what can happen when you grow up as the one of the only people of color in uh, a, a homogeneous, predominantly white uh, neighborhood. The other thing that was really quite important uh, as it relates to my experience is that when I moved to Unionville, actually even now it still is, it's an extremely affluent part uh, of mm -hmm. uh, the GTHA, the, uh, uh, the Toronto and all of its suburbs and it's just a very affluent suburb and I moved there not being affluent and in fact it was a massive financial stretch for my parents to do that and, I can imagine yeah and one of the things we don't often talk about as it relates to racial identity is its intersection with class mm -hmm. and and how class can have a profound impact on your experience with social acceptance or social rejection intersecting with race and so for me um, feeling like an outsider tied back to my then lack of class privilege was very much at the forefront and also deeply connected with my racial identity as well because it wasn't just that I was Punjabi sick and at the time I didn't cut my hair I had two uh, really long braids or one long braid I uh, I didn't dress as well, or I didn't have fancy shit. Like, this is gonna this is gonna date me, and you're gonna be like, oh yes, I see the Gen X and her coming out. Like Benetton was really big back then, or Tree Torns, although Tree Torns have made a comeback. Um, Roots, Beaver Canoe, like the brands that the kids, the cool kids back then were wearing, the white cool kids, white rich cool kids were wearing. I didn't have, and in fact, I have these memories of going to Byway um, or like. Woolco, which would be the predecessor to Walmart, with my parents, and that's where we would shop. And uh, and I hated it because I knew that I want I wanted the fancy shit because I mistakenly believed that if I had the fancy shit, the bullying would be less. But you know, I said just said mistakenly believed. Like maybe it would have been, maybe it wouldn't have. I don't know. The point is for me that that. Um, the intersections were really profound as it relates to race and and uh, class and then also religion as well because it wasn't just that I was a brown kid I was sick and my father wore wore still does wear a bright red turban I had long hair and it just all of that together put me in a place where I experienced a lot of social alienation and rejection and then now let me fast forward to the work I now do it has taken me years, and when I say years, like literally decades of doing healing work, self therapy, self work, group healing work, and more mindfulness, um, med meditation, and more to be in a place where I feel good about who I am and feel proud to be a brown, sick woman, feel br proud to be dark brown skinned. Uh, as a South Asian woman, and and I sit in the power of that, but it took me a long fucking time to get here. So that gives us some insight into what motivates you to do the work that you do. 
This is a similar question, but slightly different in that, uh, yeah, I'll just ask it. What inspires you? So I, I, I can see where the motivation comes from and like you talked about disrupting systems and everything. Mm-hmm. What is it that inspires you to keep going? Because the work that you do is very hard and I know you travel literally around the world mm-hmm. yeah. um, as part of your consulting practice yeah. and speak to people who would be hearing some of these things for the very first time. So what is it that inspires you to keep going? So I'm motivated to disrupt systems of supremacy, as I mentioned, and I, um, I am inspired by the changes I see around me, and I'm inspired by the positivity I see around me, and I'm inspired by the ability to transform one's life based on choices we make. And the changes I see around me, uh, they're incremental, but I deeply believe that we can own what happens to us and we can transform the experiences we have in our life. And so, and I'm filled with a lot of hope. Uh, and How do you get to that space mentally? Yeah, you know, it's a really tricky, tricky place to be. So for example, lately I've been having, um, I've been, I, I am very committed to being in my body and being in my thoughts. When I say in my body, I mean the experience of actually going within my physical body, so reflecting internally and sensing shifts, physiological shifts throughout my body as a way to navigate experiences. As someone who comes from the East, we have been taught a lot about mindfulness and going within the mind to explore and we have also been given the tools to explore externally physiologically what's happening in our bodies living in the west i think there's overemphasis on the mind and underemphasis on exploring what's happening in our bodies because actually mm-hmm. what we increasingly know from neuroscience is that the body goes first the body will tell the mind what to think really yes because the body our bodies are entirely governed by our nervous systems mm-hmm. and we are constantly canvassing the environment to make sure that we are free from harm harmful stimuli in the environment that could pose a danger to us that we are avoiding those things and so the, the our bodies will say uh-uh danger have fear and then the brain then is like oh my god i'm afraid it, yeah. my brain then we're freaking out or whatever and so i so i am i spend a lot of time in my mind and body and lately i have been sensing i've been feeling anxiousness and then i've also been hearing the voices in my head saying things like oh thank god i won't be around for that like when i read a piece of news about the decimation of the earth and how everything is melting and global warming and the oceans and 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 mountains and more or i read about artificial artificial intelligence and i'm like oh my god the world is going to hell in a fucking handbasket and whatever and then i'll hear the narrative i'll feel the anxiety through run through my body and then i'll hear my Mm -hmm. uh, voice in my head say something like oh thank god you're not going to be around for that and recently i i i caught myself doing it and i said to myself stop what is this negative narrative about like where is this coming from i realized it was fear it's fear of what's going to happen with the world and fear of the unknown and and I sat with it and I've been exploring it interestingly when we sit and with our thoughts including our dark thoughts and we and we work through them 
they dissipate. And so wouldn't you know it, since I've been doing this, I haven't had that, oh, thank God, God, I won't be around. But the same thing is also true with things that make us feel really good. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about how, for example, like here you are and I'm looking at you and you explain what your podcast is about. And in me, I felt this like this warm um, sensation and I felt like warm fuzzies because I'm like, yes, like there are people in this world, strong, beautiful, competent, um, talented, artistic people of color who are rising. And I'm one of the people too, I'm rising too. and and. I, when I pause on that feeling, that experience, I'm just filled with so much hope and, and it, and positivity. And so hearing people's stories, it inspires me. Hearing about people's wins, that inspires me. But also hearing about people's darkness and suffering and tragedy, that inspires me too. When I say inspires me, uh, because it sounds like an odd thing to say, I have tremendous empathy towards the human experience of suffering because I, I too have suffered and I am suffering. And, and I hurt and like I have good days and bad days. I just posted something on Instagram, uh, a quote, which I'll share, that I um, created to reflect my experiences, a bit like poetry. And I said, I have good days and I have bad days. On good days, I have bad moments. And on bad days, I have good moments. But on all days and all and in all moments, I am grateful. And so when I hear about people's experiences with with darkness and suffering, I'm inspired because I want to help and I want to heal. And I too want to be helped and I want to be healed. And so and I'm inspired because I think it takes a lot of courage for us to share our stories. Like we we it's easier to tell the good shit. It's so much harder to share all our vulnerabilities and our hurt and pain especially when it ties back to internalizing oppression and marginalization. And it's really hard to do that in, given that we're living in a system of racial supremacy and more for those of us who are marginalized, feel marginalized, to give voice to our hurt and pain because it, it further can further perpetuate the supremacy. Uh, and so I say this as... Uh, uh, I, I say all of this thinking about my continued commitment to help disrupt and create a, a better world and I, I deeply believe that's my purpose in life, like to help interrupt those forms of supremacy and help to give voice to the voiceless and help even myself to sit in the power and the truth of who I am and use my voice for that. Thank you for sharing that and I can tell you I met you a few times and even just your presence like I can I can feel almost all of the things that all this heavy stuff that you've shared I can sort of feel that you walk into a room having that in mind and it yeah thank you, you feel that in your presence oh thank you that's so nice to yeah. say um, can I can I share one thing I'm really excited about this and so I hope we can talk again and I hope people continue to, to um, track what I'm up to because I'm really excited about this. One of the things that I am currently learning about and now increasingly teaching about and talking about in my, well, both when I do my uh, speaking work, but also online because I have a lot of videos and blogs as you'll have seen and I post a lot on social media across all the platforms, uh, is the trauma 
that we carry as people of color because of racism and other forms of oppression in our bodies. So we, we, this is an area that is really only now being increasingly explored. How does experiencing racism actually have an adverse impact on our nervous systems? And so I am uh, in the midst of completing my trauma therapist certification, not because I will end up becoming a trauma therapist. I highly doubt that will happen. And, this, and I'm a year and a half in. I have a year and a half left to go. I'll be finished at the end of next year. Um, uh, hopefully, and the um, what the the reason I'm taking this uh, trauma therapist certification is number one to heal my own um, stuff, and then secondly, I'm taking it so that I can help empower other people to live better lives, especially as people of color. And so, as I'm doing this work, what is increasingly becoming evident to me is. First of all, the intergenerational transference of trauma. So, so as you and I sit here, not only do we sit here uh, housing and storing in our bodies our own experiences with feeling like an outsider, being marginalized and oppressed due to racism and other forms of oppression, but we also carry the woundedness and the, the hurt and the suffering of our parents, like literally through the genetics, but also the legacies of our ancestors and we carry this physically in our bodies like literally actually physically like physiologically like this is science this is science yeah this is science in addition to the spiritual and social transference of that trauma and and so sometimes as a person of color if we feel like shit it's actually not our fault like it's like the legacies of the trauma that we have experienced and we are carrying in our bodies yeah that makes sense and I feel like society is really hard on us. We are harder on ourselves. In truck community-wise, we're hard on each other. Like the judgments being lobbed at each other within South Asian, the South Asian diaspora on a whole colorism, the haterade that we all have for like which group are like, are you Gujarati? Are you Punjabi? Are you um, South Indian? Like what are like this is stupid shit that we do to each other. And I'm deeply interested in like interrupting that, dismantling it, but also helping to equip people with the tools to address with address this and so i hope that you and i can talk about this again because i think that this is a really exciting opportunity to help uh, people of color feel more empowered and lifted great thank you so much and for those who don't know I, i'll include it in the notes as well but ritu has a fabulous book called the authenticity principle which it's kind of a, a guidebook almost about how to navigate some of the situations we've talked about. And it, it is rooted in physio physiology and how the nervous system operates and the mind-body connection. Um, so I'll share that link in the in the description and social media. But Ritu, thank you so much. Thank um, you. I hope we do have the opportunity to do this again. Thank you so much. I like this. The times flew by. <laughs> I, I really look forward to doing this again. Great. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Bye. 